back. Welcome to Believe It or Not, Part 9 of the James Bond Character Study, brought to you here by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment. If you've been with us for the James Bond Character Study before, uh, you know we are going to review the fourth film with Daniel Craig as 007 2015's Spectre. Michael is on the table today for us. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the world. And there's a lot going on in the world of James Bond. There's a lot going on in the world of PVOD and streaming and all that. I want to push it away. I have COVID. <laughs> I have a lot of issues going on right now, but I'm okay. I just, but mm-hmm. I, I do want to push all the nonsense away and just enjoy one of those sweet spot movie reviews for us where we love it as much as we hate it. And we're really just going to have that uh, Radio Raheem, both fists coming at our audience today. So pushing, I, pushing nonsense away to focus on a movie that is nonsense is what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to get all the nonsense out of the way out there so that we can focus on the nonsense in here. <laughs> I think that's exactly what uh, what's due. We're going to talk about a movie today that's, you know, hammering like 60 percent on the review scores. And you're right. That is certainly the sweet spot for us in a lot of ways, because there's a lot to love about Spectre and. Boys, they're otherwise, which we're going to get to all of it. But if you've not joined us before for a James Bond character study, what we do is we take one James Bond movie or two per James Bond actor until we got to Daniel Craig. And now we're reviewing every single Daniel Craig. This started as an exercise to lead up to, you know, this past April's No Time to Die, which was going to be now this November's No Time to Die, which has since turned into 2021's question mark, No Time to Die. So uh, the James Bond character study we thought was going to be a fun couple months romp through James Bond history has turned into a year-long program now. It is a year-long labor of love <laughs> and lust and all of those things, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. We're still... You know, thinking about doing some extra episodes to mm-hmm. tie this over until when Apple finally gives in and buys this and just puts it on <laughs> Apple TV Plus for six bucks, bucks a month. Right, exactly. <laughs> on the exactly. heels of a Tom Hardy will be the next Bond announcement. I don't know. It's, just, it's all right. coming, right? It's all in play right now. So let's dive into Spectre, which is, believe it or not, the most recent Bond movie to whatever the hell No Time to Die is going to drop. So what do we have here, Michael? Yeah, it's an Oscar winner. It won the Academy Award and the Golden Globe for Best Original Song for Sam Smith's Writing on the Wall. Writing's on the Wall in 2016. That's something we covered in one of our uh, Best Original Song half episodes there, Michael. And we've arrived at my first objection to this entire thing. Look, <laughs> Sam Smith won this Oscar because of Adele, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a good point. He might have won on some coattails there. However, let me... Let me speak from the Spotify playlist perspective right now. Okay. Because I've been listening to the James Bond theme song Spotify playlist for a while. And that song is something I leave on. I Really? Entire, you like it that much? Well, it's just whatever. It, it's just very melodic. I enjoy it. It's very Bond-like. The orchestra it just really works. I am a big fan of of leaving that song on. I don't know if I'm necessarily a big fan, like in terms of like pop radio listening to the, to writings on the wall, but as something that's just, you know, harmless and enjoyable, I, 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 I'm with it. I was, when I first heard it back in the day, um, 
it has since kind of soured on me. And I believe I, I should have looked this up, but I believe writing on the wall was the song that beat out till it happens to you by Lady Gaga and that memorable, yes. awesome performance on yes, the Oscar stage, which shouldn't have happened anyway. So I've, I've since soured greatly on this and now listening to it uh, for purposes of this character study. I was like, Oh God, what is this song? So I, I, I do not, maybe I need to be lulled in and need to listen to it on repeat on the Spotify playlist. Like you're pitching here. His voice will lull you in and, I don't know if um, I don't know if the Kraken is necessarily the imagery that works <laughs> for that song. Let me just be honest, but otherwise it works for me. All right, so we have Oscar winner Specter because of Oscar winner Sam Smith singing Oscar winning writings on the wall. Otherwise, you said it at the top. We have very middling to slightly above average scores here, Mike. We have a 60 meta score, 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience scores are 6.8 on IMDb, 61% on Rotten Tomatoes from this film from Sam Mendes and company. Probably a, a proper rating all across the board there if I had to be, uh, you know, give my two cents here. Now, Spectre had a budget somewhere in the realm of 245 to $300 million, and it made a domestic gross of roughly $200 million, which isn't great until mm-hmm. you hear about the international take, which combined for a $680 million rake for overseas markets that led to a worldwide take of $880.6 million, making it the sixth highest grossing film of 2015. And all of the studio executives who somehow listen to our show, all, all one of them, maybe, perhaps, <laughs> they are hoping these numbers still work in 2020, right. 2021. Right. right? Whenever after. theaters come back online, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as for the cast, we have newcomers to the series. Leia Seydoux, Christoph Waltz, Andrew Scott, Sexy Priest from Fleabag, Monica Bellucci, <laughs> and they... Uh, accompany the returning players Ralph Fiennes, uh, Naomi Harris, Ben Wishup, Jesper Christensen is back, and then Rory Kinnear, who nobody remembers, but who actually plays a big role in this one. We'll talk about mm. that uh, returning alongside Daniel Craig. So this is the fourth performance with Craig Bond, uh, Daniel Bond, the Daniel Bond, James Bond being portrayed <laughs> by Daniel Craig. So let's discuss how he did in it, getting into character. Okay, so first and foremost, Daniel Craig was listed as a co-producer of Spectre, Mike. This is a step up for him, not only in his career, but a step up for uh, a James Bond uh, Mm. actor. Uh, This is not uncommon in today's film industry, so this is a bit of an evolution, but it's something Craig said was a high mark for that career and something he was very proud of. Nothing. Good for him. (laughs) I mean, it's it's. I'm a little surprised it didn't happen sooner. I would think any time, as soon as he stepped into the writing role, like he did back in 2007 to kind of cover the writer strike that was going on with that film, when he kind of took the Bond character into this neo noir. Yeah, he named it a I, lot of hugs. Right, because he was a writer. I would have thought. Him. I would have thought he got a, a, a producer credit at that point going forward if they wanted to keep him around. But uh, I guess they did right by him eventually. Mike, in the age of the MCU, where a lot of these major actors are kind of underpaid, I was mm-hmm. happy to see like a franchise basically create a star in Daniel Craig and then give him what he wants before like a messy 
uh, power struggle would have to occur, you know? So basically, he's made a producer credit. This is Eon taking care of their star. Yeah. This is Eon giving him a hand in the script and Sam Mendes working well with him in the script. Mm-hmm. Even after Quantum of Solace kind of rushed things, at least we thought, in terms of the screenwriting situation. But, you know, uh, for a few more nuggets here, we had Sam Mendes. Basically, he wasn't going to do it. Nicholas Winding Refn fresh off of drive he hmm. was later confirmed to have turned specter down and he does only god forgives which is a batshit movie sure is <laughs> anyway sam mendez comes back into the fold does do the film and in that last uh screenplay polish he has craig by his side not not a bad fallback option if you have to rely on Sam Mendes after missing out on uh, somebody you tabbed. The I guess. first but director, Mendes, yeah, the first yeah. director to come back and do it. He also brought back the writing team from Skyfall, most notably John Logan and Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and uncredited from Skyfall, Jez Butterworth, who was known for Edge of Tomorrow and Ford v Ferrari, as well as the name Hall of Fame. And Butterworth's role <laughs> was the po- was to polish the draft, which he did alongside both Mendes and, like Mike just said. Daniel Craig. Finally, it wouldn't be a Craig Bond movie, though, without a report on his latest Bond movie injury. So how did Daniel Craig beat himself up this time, Michael? You'll like this story because it's just not Craig beating (laughs) beating himself up. It's Dave Bautista, a.k.a. Bautista. He got what he was asking for, Daniel Craig did. All right, so... Craig is is doing that savage trade train fight scene with Bautista and awesome scene. And thought Dave was going light on him, quote light on him. So he yells at Bautista. Uh, this is all according to a slash film article that I just found, and I'm very happy I found it because it lists all of the Daniel Daniel Craig injuries throughout his Bond series. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, the Inspector. Uh, we all know that that train fight is happening, and there's a, a couple of instances where Bautista grabs Craig and then throws him. Well, yes, I think the one where Daniel Craig actually got screwed up is where he's bracing himself on the ground and kind of digging in his foot without really realizing it. So mm-hmm. when Bautista grabs him and throws him into the wall, he actually you basically twist the guy's knee if the guy has good traction on the knee. So that's right. what happens. He Craig says Bautista threw him but left his knee where he threw him from. <laughs> so basically he, twi- he got his knee twisted because he was gripping the ground on the train and he tears his ACL, which he has to – and basically he has to do the rest of the production in a knee brace, Michael, that they have to CGI out in post-production, the rest of, uh, of James Bond there. I think they deserve some credit because I never was no attention was ever drawn to his knee. So their CGI of getting out a brace seems to be more successful than the DCEU CGI of getting out a mustache. Yes. So, uh, you know, in the hierarchy of things you want to happen to your main actor, apparently you want him to tear his ACL before he grows some facial hair you don't want. Braces, gloves, as we've learned. The, the Bond series is <laughs> right, great right, to get true, rid of yes. They don't like their reshoots. <laughs> Let's get into the historical significance of Daniel Craig's performance of the film on the industry itself. Now, this is a watershed moment for the franchise, Michael, because 
They can actually finally use the word Spectre. Uh, the use of the Spectre organization is the result of a final legal reconciliation between the Eon Studio and the McClory Estate, who was a producer that successfully sued for the rights of the novel Thunderball in 1961. So between 61 up until 2013, Eon could not use the term Spectre, believe it or not. So... This is how Dr. Evil parodies happen, right? This is, <laughs> you know, because they can get away with messing with all of that stuff, but they, you know, the Bond is not really on the nose using it in their next, you know, iteration of the uh, the, the, the hero. Otherwise, I don't think, you know, Paramount's Austin Powers. Am I correct in that? Anyway, I'm trying to start to learn all of these studios and start to memorize them, and I always forget it. Anyway, <laughs> but I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think you you get to parody their next story before they tell it. In, in other words, where like Austin Powers did. Unless. So what do you mean by that? I'm getting a little lost in the sauce here with that. What do you mean by that? I just think everybody works with everybody, so I don't think mm-hmm. you're gonna shit on the end of the the novels or the the next big uh, the next big literary twist in the story. It's right, like it's right, basically right. like taking the Thanos storyline and 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 making a parody of it before you even do it, unless Michael, unless there's a legal uh, disaster going from 1961 to 2013 <laughs> that they knew was involved, right? Some harangue. So you think the Austin Powers storylines were like a wink, wink, we're going to do what you can't do right now. Exactly. Yeah. Because they, yeah, they're reading some the sense. novels and they're going back and they're parodying the 1960s Bonds and they're not worried about you know pissing off MGM and UA. <laughs> because we have a character named Fat Bastard, so why are you taking us seriously? Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, long-winded, ridiculous way of trying to make a point there. But, Mike, we have another interesting nugget about this production because Rome, the city of Rome, the ancient, glorious city of Rome, was worried that the Spectre production was going to damage all of its priceless artifacts, its old cobblestone streets, anything. <laughs> That was anywhere near Dave Bautista and James Bond when they were driving those <laughs> Lamborghini versus uh, what, what car did Bond have? I'm going to mention it later on. Uh, uh, Aston Martin. Oh, my God. Yeah, what a it was car. a beautiful what car, a too. Car. They, they basically forced the James Bond production here that famously went over budget and won't really disclose its budget. That's why when you listed it earlier, it was between 245 and 300. This movie that famously went over budget, one of the reasons for this, Michael, was that city officials and special interest protest groups alike, (laughs) they forced Sam Mendes' production to basically protect the city streets with, like, these uh, literal, like, coding and protection. I forget how it was. But they literally barricaded the city streets so Bond couldn't damage them forever and ever. Um, I'm on the side of Rome here. (laughs) I mean, I think that's a legitimate concern, right? Well, well, here's the crazy thing about this, Mike. The amount Mm -hmm. of carnage we have seen in every other city on screen in this character study of James Bond. Right. There's a reason why Rome was like, not us too. Exactly. Exactly. I mean... We haven't. We do license to bill for a reason. Well, yeah, but we haven't covered it on the production level, right? I mean, it's not like really happening. It's supposed to be... Exactly. Right, right, right. this story makes me think... What did all these other cities actually go through in terms of real damage to the to the landmarks that we're shooting at? 
in my head, I just uh, the, there was a, a shot from I think it was one of the Fast and Furious movies that kind of went viral, a behind the scenes shot of and it was in New York City. It looked like it was right in downtown or something yeah. where they had cars speeding through the streets and then it was obviously a closed set so everyone was protected, but they had cars speeding through the streets and then they had a bunch of other cars with explosions and stuff falling out of a parking garage. And 2015, 2014 would have been just around the advent of like Twitter's relevancy. So in my head, like I see the Pope seeing that video and being like, oh, we got to do something, huh? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I don't want to tell stories about my first job when I was a camp counselor, but I think I have to now. Okay, right. good. Look, it's, it, it's a story where I am 15 years old and I'm a camp counselor during a summer camp, Camp Teepee, right? We all have to do a skit at the end of the year and all of these camp counselors are talented, like musically talented or something. Mm-hmm. I am not. And I basically leave it up to my kids. I'm like, what if we do a lip sync performance of Weird Al Yankovic's Eat It, which is, of course, a parody of Michael Jackson's Beat It. And I was like, all right, what if we, like, throw, like, lettuce at each other? And we're like, it's just this goofy-ass comedy sketch. Mm -hmm. Well, I said that, and the kids are all about it. We practiced it and whatever. Come to realize on the day that all of these kids bring so much extra food to throw at each other into the food fight. (laughs) It left such a mess. Now, we were purposely, I had negotiated, we're the last group on, right? Right, right. This is in front of all the parents. We have a just a, an epic food fight on stage. Okay. We're supposed to be the last group. We're not the last group somehow. It changed last second. Another oh, group no. supposed to follow us. Oh, no. The kids are throwing eggs at one another. We're covered. <laughs> and so after it, it ends, I'm, like, worried about cleaning up all of these, like, 11-year-old kids and myself. Right, and I leave the stage, and it's just a total shit show. All I, I find out later that all the other counselors had to f- clean it all up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and they that's, were furious with, with me forever, hated me forever. That's the city of Rome, and this. That's, and, what, I, what I'm saying, that might be every other city, and the Pope might be my old counselor. I'm picturing this guy. His name was Nacho, Pope Nacho, in this situation. Pope Nacho. Pope Nacho the <laughs> third. Yeah, I mean that's what I feel like. Sam Mendes, he does his destruction. The the streets are all torn up. The cobblestone is all yes. turned over, and he's like, "All right, uh, we uh we're gonna go." Well, listen, you blew up a Scotland. <laughs> I don't want you blowing up a Roma. It's the only reason we did this franchise Pope is so we can Pope keep Nacho, going back please. and forth with bad Pope, uh, <laughs> bad Pope accents. That's right. All right. Where the hell are we? Um, I don't I don't know. I was going to get into my actual takes on the historical <laughs> significance of this film, of this film and uh, Sam Mendes' filmography, of Daniel Craig's James Bond run here. And, and, and here's where I kind of land. This movie is just Daniel Craig and Sam Mendes saying, this is probably our last hurrah with this. Let's do a real Bond movie. Let's let's get away from all of the, the new school, super serious stuff of the last three films and how we're trying to make this a much more serious Batman Bond, right? right. Dark Knight Bond kind of thing. No, let's have, all, 
let's have all of the old tropes and let's do homages to all our favorite scenes. And at this point, they probably watched all the Bonds because, like, you know, they had admitted before, like, maybe we haven't studied all of these Bonds. We're just kind of coming at it fresh and we're True. trying to give our own spin. But this is them having the big parade, right, a la Jaws and, and Mardi Gras there. This is them having the epic car chase in Rome on location. Don't the break on my streets. This is them, <laughs> you know, having a train fight that just it harkens you back to the the second bond that probably made him uh, even more of a star and made the franchise what it is in uh, from russia with love there that train fight was effing awesome so well the train fight and the the, the ski fight is so you know reminiscent too but we're gonna yeah we're gonna get into like 15 other things and we're gonna get into how they reused you know the basically the setting of one of uh, our reviews Right, one of our Bond favorite Bond right. movies, for better or worse, <laughs> you know. So, so they're they're doing they're paying homage all over the place in this film. Right, I I, I agree with that, and it's very obvious. And it's it, there is a little more camp, it's a little more hokey, and there's the attempt to kind of be all encompassing with this too. Like they, I think the villain in this tries to have a throwback. I think in my mind, at least the way I interpreted it, they're trying to say it's the same villain from. Connery Bond, right. which makes no sense whatsoever, but it's 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 a fun movie. It's a lot of fun. There's the Doctor Evil storyline in here that they could finally use again. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, just on a on another like Oscary note, I'm talking about Sam Mendes because we just covered him like crazy last year with 1917. The the opening of this film, The Day of the Dead, it's a wonder, Mike. It's like yeah, him it's getting great. ready for his next movie preparing for his next movie with uh, Roger Deakins there, even though Roger Deakins was replaced by future Christopher Nolan go-to DP, uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema. Let the right one in the fighter, hers, what he did before this, but then he gets a major blockbuster career and a few sc- future Oscar nom with Dunkirk and then, of course, Interstellar and Tenet as well. So uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema and Sam Mendes really you know, teaming up well with that opening. And there is, I mean, one of the glowing positives about this movie for me, there's so many great shots. I mean, oh. not even just the Warner, but, like, just the cinematography in general, I think, is just stunning. So I, I, I think that's a high, high mark. And you can tell Mendy's fingerprints are all over this for sure. Well, it's exciting because it's a, it's a director not necessarily needing Roger Deakins to come up with the visuals right. he comes <laughs> up with here. So that, it says a lot about Sam Mendy's for sure. Yeah, um, it does. Absolutely. And it says a lot about Roger Deakins and Hoyt Van de Hoyt Tema. That's what I was trying to get to. Anyway, Mike, uh, I did want to compare the box office uh, prowess of all of these Bonds because we're on the last film of the last Bond thus far, and we're going to do some more. <laughs> With a mere 11 months to go until the opening of the next movie. <laughs> That's right. We're going to do some more Bond episodes to fill in the schedule and continue to have fun with this. But, all right, here's where we stand. Sean Connery, he had a ratio of 11.9 million dollars for every 1 million spent. So 11.9 to 1 ratio. So he's making every dollar you're putting in a production for a Connery movie, you're making about 12 bucks. Yeah. That so but that's old school math and and it goes, you know, precipitously down from there, but mm-hmm. uh I you know, he had a he had a great ratio there. He was a hugely successful bond no matter what the math is. George Lazenby 9.22 to 1 ratio. And he, you know, because he made sixty four point six uh, million on a seven million dollar film. Okay. If I were to 
ask you who the second most successful Bond was <laughs> ratio wise, box office ratio wise. How many people you think would come up with Lazenby? Well, that that's why this is kind of a BS in terms of right. comparison. But <laughs> well, I, it was one movie, yeah, one movie versus the other people doing seven or five in this. You know, it's it's different. Budgets were low. Studios were making a huge profits. They probably cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah, that's correct. Roger Moore, he he made money at a seven point eight to one ratio. So again, which you is know, it's going down, wildly impressive. They're making money. Timothy Dalton, he he makes money at a four point five seven to one ratio. This is kind of impressive. Dalton is still that high, but it's still the step down between Moore and Dalton. We're yeah. talking almost eight to one versus four and a half to one. That's kind of a huge precipitous drop there. Well, yeah, the the Lazenby drop was just something that they did not want to deal with at all. And then you're right. right. I mean, the the Dalton drop, they weren't going to wait around for him when Pierce Brosnan was available. But Pierce Brosnan, you know, again, you got new math in play here, but 3.34 to 1, not great for for Eon and uh, and UA and MGM. Uh, no, still profitable, still making money, but, yeah, not, not wonderful. And I think the reason Craig is shined on and smiled on so brightly is because of what he was able to do. You see this downward trend, downward trend, downward trend all the way through Brosnan, and then Daniel Craig comes along and, Michael? Yeah, it goes up. I mean, the total budgets probably tally up to at most $795 million. It could be more like $745 million. The box office totals are $3 billion. One hundred sixty-nine million four hundred thousand at this point for the Daniel Craig foursome of films, and that ratio is somewhere in between four to four point two five to one. And I will be surprised if this is Craig's last Bond in No Time to Die if it doesn't do a billion worldwide. I mean, assuming theaters are back to whatever we know them as, or at least what we have known them as. I mean, and that's a huge if I know, but. Assuming that happens, I'll be surprised if No Time to Die doesn't make a lot of money. Oh, you are assuming things. <laughs> yeah. That is that is true. <laughs> uh, we have so much to talk about in our next episode. That's for sure. With all this Wonder Woman stuff, like uh, at this point, I I would think it, I would think Apple's probably going back to the table. Uh, yeah, you uh, you're talking to the wrong guy because I've been predicting theaters dying for the last like you know right. six months. So are you that much a, of a contrarian that you now? Uh, I just have to I have to go against myself now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what's happening. I'm very confused. But all right, let's get the spoilers. Spoilers ahead. Suddenly, this evening, it makes perfect sense. Welcome, James. It's been a long time, but finally here we are. What took you so long? Cuckoo. Ciao, Mickey Mouse. This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for Spectre, part of the James Bond character study, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, it's a good place for you to hit pause. Go check it out. It's currently on demand on FXM, I think, is where I saw it. Uh, you can go watch that, come back, and hit play on us. If you've seen the movie already, if you just need a refresher, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, and we hyped up the spoiler section for you so much that you need to hear it, this is where you want to be. Spoilers for Spectre as we go through our cleverly named and punned 
sections throughout the spoiler section, and we start always with The Spy Who's Not Me, covering the fantasy elements of Bond, why we mics want to but could never be this James Bond. All right. So we have this beautiful, gorgeous one-shot of uh, James Bond walking through the parade, the Day of the Dead parade, and <laughs> it's vi- visually just a, a masterwork, and it's preparing for 1917. And yes, he's with this unbelievably gorgeous woman, and they, as he always is, uh, they're on the elevator making eyes through their skull masks to one another, and it looks like it, they're going to get it on in the first. Yeah, scene. we were we were a couple single piano notes away from this being eyes wide shut right off the gate, right off the gate, and <laughs> r- when she is you know slipping into something more comfortable he is leaving mike he is leaving out the window and she's like where are you going and he's like i won't be long so only bond could be this sexually satiated to just leave this girl on the bed to go do spy stuff as opposed to you and me (laughs) trying to get into our tux at that point we end up falling off the balcony yeah and then he actually walks out on on the roof probably right like no real you know safety nets maybe with safety nets i don't know when did he you know tear his acl anyway again we get back to bond being the luckiest human being and really a terrible spy though because in real life when this happens and bond ends up chasing you know mexican scott hall throughout the city streets of the day of the dead he ends up falling i mean not only does he decimate buildings which look centuries old and again proving james bond is more dangerous to the human race than thanos he ends up falling and landing basically on a couch that if it wasn't there, he's dead. So this right off the bat is telling us that Sam Mendes, Daniel Craig, all these guys just want to have fun in this movie. Right. This is going to be a Bond movie with all of the, you know, the, the, the all of the tropes in it. Right. We got to right. start with a parade, which was a you know a hallmark and one of our best scenes from one of our favorite movies that, that we reviewed in the past with uh, Roger Moore. And now we get that scene. Plus a goofy ending where Bond comes out of it. After all the parkour we've dealt with, right? <laughs> he falls on a sofa. Like Now he's relying on, if you go by the No Time to Die trailer, a little stoop in the middle of a bridge that happens to be there that he needs to duck behind. Or a couch that happens to be totally cool after its building gets destroyed by Bond. Like, Bond is doing so much damage. How irresponsible is it to you for you to be a super spy and fight the fucking pilot of a helicopter hovering over the town square where thousands of village people are? Luckiest SOB in the world. It's almost like he's a movie it's character. So it's so irresponsible. It's so irresponsible. Yes, shut down the double O program. I agree. I agree with Ray Fines every single step of the way of this movie. But yeah, we're going to get to it when we talk about. Uh, more negatives i don't have another like fantasy element really or maybe i was just so swooned maybe i was just so in for this indulgent tone mike that i I didn't write (laughs) shit down from here because i don't have something until the blofeld meeting do you have anything else chronologically i I, the the only thing i have here is immediately bond is on thin ice after the opening with M. And my thought is like, just fire the guy. Like how much more of this are we going to put up with? Literally every mission you have to either suspend or strip or do something with this asshole. And then watch as he costs billions in damages. Anyway, just fucking fire James Bond or better yet, have him executed. (laughs) You can't fire James Bond. He's still going to go on his missions. We we realize that's why you got to take him out yourself. Yeah, No, he's, he, he is no, good to you alive and free 
<laughs> no, they, they, it's it's it's. It's a mafia situation where he needs to, be, he needs to die. <laughs> right, I agree. Exactly. Take care of this guy. Christ. Yeah, the whole movie's a fantasy, but we're going to concentrate it on as we go along here. All right. Uh, so we get to the Illuminati meeting, the Blofeld Illuminati meeting. And yes. Bond gets in because he has the ring, right? He's an hour late to the meeting or half hour late <laughs> or whatever. And this uh, security guard is in, is in front of him. And he's like, who are you? And Bond is like, I'm Mickey Mouse. He says it in perfect Russian. And all right, so this is a goofy little interaction, but he shows him the ring, so he gets in. And he's like, oh, excuse me, sir. Anyway, this same security guard, I love how he comes back when, once Bond is made, and then he, he steps in front of Bond again, and the, and the Russian guy goes, ciao, Mickey Mouse. And Bond, <laughs> what, is, what does Bond do here? Does Bond give this guy the dignity of a swift death, the dignity <laughs> of, like, a really strong punch? Like, he's killed so many henchmen in his times. No, that's not what Bond does. This is Bond just dunking on this guy. He takes the guy by the, you know, the, the, the trouser, the bottom of the trouser, and he launches this man off the balcony yep. onto the Illuminati table. There's nobody who's lighter than a random henchman who needs to be thrown by the protagonist in an action film. <laughs> It's just humiliating. This is a giant guy who Bond throws over a balcony with perfect aim for no reason, really, uh, with, you know, the the strength that it takes you to bring in groceries. He has the seniority in this Illuminati organization <laughs> to where he is the final security guard for right. this Illuminati meeting that they probably should have done on Zoom, Michael. <laughs> this is the man. And he gets charmed away by a super spy. All right, fine. But he comes back with a great line. Chow, Mickey Mouse, about to kill him. And Bond just, like, tosses him. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, if they entered that scream, that would have been perfect. All right. So uh, everything at the snow base is just beautiful nonsense, by the way. So to talk about fantasy moments, like, number one, it is a complete homage to On Her Majesty's Secret yes, Service. Yes, Absolutely. Same. Absolutely, and it's vivid. I loved like the re repetition of all the same sets, and the fact that Bond is so arrogant that he thinks he can fly a plane through a forest is just. Uh, there's nothing more fantastical than this character thinking he can pursue these three jeeps by staying <laughs> right behind them in a plane. In With a, a broken plane, by the way. It's just the hub of the it's just the body of the aircraft by the time he's at the end of it, and it's still reacting to his steering, which is the most hilarious part. It uh, completely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I I love how when he gets out of the uh the train fight situation that he gets like an old guy who loves cars moment. Like they're they're again, remember when he was the ge ge geological expert in quantum yes. solace? Well, yes. he is a, a car dude in this where she's like, what's that? You know, they see a car pulling mm -hmm. up to their train station in nowhere. And he goes, that is a 1948 Rolls Royce Silver Wraith. And every 50 year old man just got a Woody the size from of 17 miles away too. he calls that. I mean, this is a bad guy coming to pick him up to take him to the super secret desert hideout. And he's able to spot that car. I can't believe it because, every, because he's the greatest nerd and he's the greatest spy and he's the right. greatest jock. He's the greatest all of those things. That's why this is such a fan, fantastical character. And the greatest shot in movie history, too. Like, this guy, the accuracy with his gun in this movie is unparalleled. 
it's it could be unforgiven logic. That's the one caveat I want to give it. Where the shooter whose hand doesn't shake, who stays calm, like William <laughs> Mike, Money says it. No, there, there right. are scenes in this where he's literally walking away from a guy shooting at him, and he just turns and over his outside shoulder mm-hmm. fires one shot from a distance, and the guy's done. It's hot shots part do. It's exactly like, what it is. Where yeah, he's just with one machine gun with one clip <laughs> he takes out like 17 henchmen in a matter of 42 seconds from miles away the guy coming down the stairs at the end of that scene mm-hmm. is a is literally a mile and a half away in real time and, and bonfire is one shot to him from a machine gun and the guy drops on the stairs and i don't want to shout out like movies that have the ultimate uh trigger switch to their evil lair I don't want to shout out those movies and spoil them here, but this evil base, if you shoot one spigot, <laughs> if you shoot one exposed tank of gas, great, great point. this world-controlling Illuminati base will go up in flames, all of it, all at once. It will create a trigger reaction from one AK-47, a trigger reaction where the whole place will blow up when Bond is safely away and, and, and in silhouette for the backdrop. The, the same guy who designed the Death Star immediately got to work in Blofeld's compound after that. <laughs> I can't get over the the fact that you could be educated on Star Wars and just yada yada that fact where the, give me a break i mean the the amount of trouble that you i mean that should be a given if star wars michael the greatest of all <laughs> franchises can't establish this as a convention to where you actually need to pay uh maybe you know at least 10 minutes to what's going to you should have the whole to base. work to get your entire yeah you should have to put in work it's ridiculous so yeah. it's totally a fantasy again. Well, the bullets in this are magic, though. Like I, I will, like the, the maybe Mendez was going for magic bullets because there are single shots and one shots Bond does. And this is part of the problem I had with the movie too, which I guess I'll bring it up now. Like he's able to take down a helicopter from a distance that's getting away with a single shot. He's able to explode the entire Blofeld compound, like you said with a single shot he's able to be a marksman with a machine gun with a single like the bullets in this are just they're the bullets from roger rabbit they sing they go in their own direction they you know they're doing all the things themselves charlton heston might have been a producer on this one (laughs) is what i'm wondering uh but look i mean yeah his his final moment where he's just the greatest badass of all time though to me is when he is captured for the upteenth time at the very end and those goons put him in an armored car and they take him out and he's got his hands together because he's got like them tethered and he's got the bag over his head and he does a thing where he just kind of turns and headbutts one dude and headbutts <laughs> yes. the other dude and grabs t- takes the guy's gun while he's still in the bag and and then he does like a shoulder fly or a chest fly and he rips the tie free after knocking these two guys out and he's he's he's, he's safely away it's the most inconsequential kidnapping in, in movie history. <laughs> it's great. I, I love that. I, if I didn't have COVID and I wasn't sitting home, 
basically asymptomatic, I would want to high five you. I really yeah, want it's, uh, it's, it's 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 just an adrenaline rush. That's what this entire movie is. So you're right; they were definitely just having fun, and it works on that level. All right, any any more uh, spy who's not me gags there, Mike? Are you ready for live and let dad joke? No, let's get into live and let dad joke. I actually was was a little let down by how. If you're going to have that tone for the movie being so ridiculous, there wasn't more dad jokes stuffed in. But there were a couple, like uh, when Q is referencing the car that Bond ruined in the last movie. Uh, he mm-hmm. says, I believe I said bring it back in one piece, not bring back one piece. And he even laughs to himself. That was quintessential dad joke area. I love, yeah, that he does the Austin Powers thing. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, laughs right. at joke. <laughs> yeah, he was so good. I love Q in this whole movie, but... Uh, I, I did not love C, right? Andrew Scott right. was kind of a nonsense, stupid character. But all right, he he's he's talking to M, and he's like, "But isn't that what M stands for, moron?" Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, on the train, Mike Bond is in the white tux, and she walks up in that light blue blue dress. I mean, holy shnikes, Leah Madeline, said, yeah, Madeline Swan, what a name. And she goes, you shouldn't stare. And Bond just, the, the perfect line for that is what he does say. He's like, well, you shouldn't look like that. Oh, James, true. you dog, you. <laughs> yeah, or after, uh, so part of this plot is that Bond kind of has to go rogue and ask Moneypenny mm-hmm. and Q and M individually to like have his back in certain situations without MI6 knowing what's going on because C is trying to take over MI6. So in asking Q to help make him disappear, Q is resisting because he's claiming MI6 won't like that and he's got a mortgage and two cats to feed. So Bond <laughs> goes, then I suggest you trust me for the sake of the cats. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. You can't give that to Bond on a silver platter and expect right. him to Exactly. You know, that's a, a perfect. Uh, finally, with uh, Madeline Swan again, she goes, why giving every other possible option does a man choose the life of a paid assassin? assassin? <laughs> and Bond, of course, he's like, well, it was either that or the priesthood. <laughs> right. Like, even he knows at this point that this has all become too much. <laughs> even James Bond seems to be well aware aware of how ridiculous this all is that he has to save the world again it's a bad time to lose one's head (laughs) this is getting to austin power exactly it totally is it totally is he's a little headstrong (laughs) all right that'll do that'll do that's what's happening here all right um there was some non-dad jokes just some pretty good jokes though uh, in this that we we want to mm-hmm. get into as well. This is not our usual part of the segment, but I just wanted to mention some of these. Uh, Monica Bellucci, after her husband's funeral, she goes to Bond, did you kill my husband? That's a reasonable question. And Bond mm-hmm. goes, he was an assassin. He wouldn't have taken it personally. <laughs> He's telling it like it is. You can't be. He's, I mean, that's the thing about Bond in this. He doesn't really beat around the bush with any character except for Leah Seydoux's character with regards to her father. Right, but I was dying in it. See, Bond's like, yeah, I killed him. Of course I killed him. He but- was going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, uh, Bond finally gives the bartender his customary drink order after three and a half films, right? They're on the <laughs> snowy mountain base, and Bond's like, martini shaken not stirred or the whole thing right and the guy is like we don't serve alcohol are you kidding that killed me i was dying do you know who i am and then he does order q orders him the uh you know the whatever whatever right. vegan 
pump ass drinking. <laughs> it's like, just throw that in the toilet. Cut out the middleman. <laughs> Perfect. Great job. Um, the security guard on that that mountain base, right? Bond just knocks like three of them out. And then the security guys are going to come back for another go. And Bond screams at him as Blofeld's bad guys are getting away with uh, Leia Seydoux there. He screams at him, no, stay. (laughs) And he listens. The guy listens. That's that's Austin Powers where he tells the guy to punch himself in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you just fall down? Yeah, I mean, perfect. Mike, uh, this has to be said because I'm wondering how how this is a joke. Because I was not Mm -hmm. laughing. But Frank Sinatra's New York, New York started to play during the car chase in that new Aston Martin. And Bond wouldn't let it. Like, he got mad that that song was starting to play and he shut it off. What the hell is that supposed to mean, James? Yeah, I caught that, too. I don't have... I don't think that's referencing any. I'm sure there's something we were missing. I'm sure I'm there's some inside joke there. Some kind but, of Sinatra hate there for what right. reason? <laughs> I, I didn't get that either. But as far as like the dad jokes that were in Bond, and you, you had some that were like, they weren't dad jokes, they were just good lines. I thought there was some decent writing and some well-delivered lines mm. for just like badassness. You know, like when Bond's questioning the beleaguered Mr. White about where to find this pale face guy who ends up being Blofeld, obviously, He's everywhere, everywhere. He's sitting at your desk. He's kissing your lover. He's eating supper with your family. It's like, yeah, I like that. I'm down with that. That's some pretty fucking badass thing. Or like when he's actually talking with Blofeld Bond is and mm-hmm. Blofeld's showing Bond his entire heart out. And Blofeld gives this entire spiel about why James Bond came. And then he says, so, James, why did you come? I came here to kill you. And here I thought you came here to die. Good. Nice callback to, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And then Blofeld's even more menacing. A nice pattern developed. You interfered in my world. I destroyed yours. Or did you think it was a coincidence all the women in your life ended up dead? <laughs> I like that. I thought Christoph Waltz was a badass in this. And yeah, and when he took out the bigger pipe to smoke, uh, <laughs> I just, I, 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 love, I love Christoph Waltz anywhere. That's a terrible, stupid joke. Talk about dad jokes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. There's a lot of a lot of lines where I would perk up and just be like, "Oh, that's excellent. That's juicy," and uh, that's that's a good place to end before we get into some worse scenes. Though I'll be honest with you, I don't have a ton here, but we we do have Doctor. Please, oh God, no! Bond's issues with women, Mike. I thought this was the best, and it should be. It's the most recent Bond. It's the most should be most progressive in that way. But I thought this was the best handling of the female characters in a Bond movie we've seen outside of Monica Bellucci. (laughs) Correct. Now, there are even some misdirections worked in, like to the point where you think Bond's finally going to get laid. It's almost like Mm -hmm. they should have different music playing, like, you know, like you think it's going to, like the music shouldn't be as serious because they're going to make a joke. We have, you know, him what you think is proposing money penny to just come to his apartment at nine o'clock. You think he's a slimy scumbag, which he is still, right? He also is bringing her onto his team. Like I trust you. Here's Judy Dench's M's secret message. And here's why I have to go rogue. And here's why you have to be my mole. I loved it. 
Right. I, I'm with you. And I thought it was handled responsibly. And even, I mean, the, look, him and Leah, Leah say do. Yes. They do end up having a sex scene, but it's the most established relationship I felt that Bond has had with a woman he ends up in bed with throughout any of the movies we've covered. That's... I mean, she literally saves his life multiple times. She's sharing information with him. He's sworn to protect her. They actually, there's, you know, an investment in the rela- into the relationship between the two of them before they even kiss, which I thought was great. That's how God meant sex to happen <laughs> beat batista on a train and you sh- you deserve to have sexy with each other that's written that in the moment. bible verbatim that's somewhere correct. that's absolutely correct so th- there's no criticism for me on that sex scene sexy whatsoever it's the perfect time for a sex scene in a movie 100%. Right, I'm da- I was down with that too, and I, I think that was proper. What wasn't proper mm-hmm. was the Monica Bellucci sex scene, <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. Uh, he begs the woman of the man he's just killed, <laughs> triggering her assassination attempt that she has established in this dialogue is only delayed by Bond's presence. So coming home from the funeral, she's immediately accosted by not one, but two assassins (laughs) who Bond kills. Great. All right. But she's like, there's more coming. I'm good as good as dead. Might as well have a fucking drink. And Bond, Bond's like, not only that, but you might as well exposit everything you know about your husband before we have sex. What? (laughs) So you're absolutely right. It's like, did you kill my husband? Yes. Okay. Red flag number one. <laughs> Can you give me all these world secrets about everything you know? Also, yes. Why not? Red flag number two. And then they're I having think, sex. I think the filmmakers are like, all right, we just tabbed the oldest Bond girl ever. She's 50 years old, Monica Belushi. My goodness. Bellissima. She's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. If they don't have sex in the movie, it's disrespectable. They thought it would be ageism. Right. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking they're thinking there. (laughs) Well, he has to have sex with her, you see. (laughs) We can't have the oldest Bond girl. It's like, otherwise she's not a Bond girl. Wow, what a quandary. That effed up. To a totally unnecessary character, by the way, to the plot. (laughs) Um, otherwise, the only other thing I have is, again, Bond is reprimanded for being a scumbag, but he does try to have sex with Lea Seydoux's Madeline Swan character when they go to Le American, the hotel there. Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce any of these words. Mike, she tells him off in the greatest way possible because, yeah, she's getting wasted and of course she should her father's just dead her whole life is over she like mm-hmm. she carved out a real career for herself she didn't know that it was for a you know a megalomaniac uh, right who worked with her father that you know she was going to get accosted by for the, for the, the for this uh, save the world mission but here she is she's with this super spy that she begrudgingly agrees to go you know be be near mm-hmm. and She's like, screw it, I'm getting drunk. And then Bond steadies her before she's like, I'm going to sleep. And Bond steadies her, and she's like, don't think for a moment. This is when I fall into your arms, comma, seeking solace for my dead daddy. And Bond's like, eh, that's a good point. I really have yeah. been a scumbag all these years. Yeah, I like that. I, I really did like the way every female character except Monica Bellucci was handled. 
Except they have that scene where mm-hmm. Leah Seydoux tells him off, goes to sleep in her clothing, and then the next time we see her, somehow she has managed to, while wasted, while having passed out already, oh. ended up in a sexy lingerie nightgown. Oh. Completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. And was she too drunk to notice? Did Bond get away right. with a little... Uh... I mean, that's even grosser. Uh. I mean... <laughs> So, you know, uh, highs and lows, as always, when it comes to Ebbs James Bond. Ebbs and lows, highs and lows. A little... <laughs> no, of course, of she had to... Uh, here's, here's where I'm giving the movies a benefit of the doubt. Bond didn't do that, and she just did it. And... Okay. Mm, I mean, I guess she could have, but it's like, I don't know. If I, I've i passed out drunk before. I've never really tried to put on lingerie in the middle uh, of the night. <laughs> like every Bond movie before it, let's just say the script girl was actually a script man. Yeah, and probably. He was a man in his midlife crisis, and he's like, no, <laughs> she should wake up in lingerie. <laughs> right. So, That's what happened. All right, those are the, the issues we have with the female uh, the female characters as far as Spectre goes. How about Always Say Never Again, our moral issues with the film and some more of the worst scenes and themes. I'll be honest, Mike. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we've touched on the biggest ones, and those for me are the Bond is the coolest super spy ever that he only needs one shot to kill a guy as easily as he does to blow up an entire desert compound as easily as he does to snipe down an entire helicopter. Yeah, I don't have a lot here either because there are no people of color in this movie for him to offend, mortally offend. <laughs> which, so, which in and of itself is an issue. That's probably an issue. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the Mexico City being destroyed as pro- mm-hmm. perhaps the yeah. biggest thing. I mean, he deliberately yeah. blows up a building in, in Mexico City that crashes into another building. Destroying both buildings and however many unknown numbers of people and family members and whatever. And he doesn't care. He just takes the pragmatism on himself. And just it's like, another Tuesday. And then, of course, he's like, I need to get after this bad guy because I deem this worthy. And therefore, I'm going to have a fist fight with this helicopter guy after throwing the other guy into the crowd, which he probably killed somebody on the ground. If you throw, no toss doubt. a giant no, projectile, no a couple hundred pound projectile off, you're going to hit somebody. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, mm-hmm. he could have beheaded the, this entire Day of the Dead uh, concert crowd. There it could have been thousands of casualties it could for have no been reason. 28 weeks later. I mean, <laughs> what the hell is good? Is that the movie with the helicopter killing all the zombies? But it would have been real. Yeah. Yes. yes. What the hell was he thinking? And then all he's got to do is put a gun to the helicopter operator's head there and be like, right. land safely. Right. But right. no, he just he goes immediately for the chokehold. He's he could hear the theme music and the soundtrack in the background. He just got him too pumped up, and he had no choice but to act that way. Unbelievable. I mean, otherwise, Leia Seydoux saves him twice. I don't have many major moral objections to this one, which is refreshing. Me- me either. I agree, and I think it's also because we were having, you know, we were living in the absurdity of it all. So we kind of took this with the tone that it wanted to give us. I think, which is, that's uh, a positive. It makes it a more fun viewing experience. But we can move on to Q only lives once. Mike, we'll talk about the cars, gadgets, and tech of James Bond in this one. Got to talk about the cars. We have the okay. So the Jaguar CX75. I kept calling it an Aston Martin. So that is the car in Rome. Which was just like gorgeous, stunning. Uh, I'm not a car guy, but that car is something I would just like to be in the presence of. Yeah. at some point. Yeah, I, I we we'd say every time every one of these episodes how we're not car guys, but they just managed to find the just the sexiest vehicles. Zach Chase, 
scene between him and uh, Batista and the and it was shot film. so beautifully too, which helped it out. Oh my goodness, gorgeous! I was geeking out. I, I yep. loved every second of that. Maybe I'm going into my middle age, but that's the truth. <laughs> Michael, we also have two Aston Martins in this movie, which is why I was confusing it with the Jaguar before. We have the Aston Martin DB10 and the Aston Martin DB5, which had which is the classic Bond car, which got the huge send off at the end, which is the mm-hmm. just the perfect car guy like, like car guys came away from this movie just loving this movie for for all of the extra little easter eggs in it i'm sure there's a documentary or something which exists already about the cars of bomb but i just i want to know the actual how does sam mendes get his hands on these like who's the dealership he works with what is the terms of the the lease because they have to be stunt driven to a way does he just buy them outright and if so that's got to be hundreds of thousands of dollars I, I just would love to know the actual logistics into getting one of those cars on set Look, all I know is that the whatever Bond movie that the first Aston Martin showed up in was the beginning of a beautiful friendship between <laughs> everyone involved and Aston Martin. I'm sure they sold a boatload of cars. I'm sure. I have no doubt. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, Q usually only gets the one scene, and we kind of already mentioned his scene a little bit in uh, Liver Let Dad Joke there, Mike, but, I mean, he gets a whole arc in this movie. Yeah. Like, Q is a major side character. I think this is the uh, Mission Impossible effect where Bond is in need of an ensemble cast. Yeah, the variety of skills, and it, it's kind of refreshing to see M not just be a person behind a desk in this one. He also gets his foot in the door with some action money penny as well we already talked about q does it as well uh that said the gadgets of q that the biggest one he does introduce is something called smart blood which i'm sure apple's been to work on for the last five years and already has perfected if if they haven't introduced it already uh which is basically just the the way the movie is able to have all these random people keep track of bond which was kind of creative i thought I, I liked it. I, I like Bond giving into it, and I like Bond turning it to his advantage. Yeah. And I, I like that whole back and forth where he's like, maybe don't track me for the, or maybe I won't track you for the first 48 hours. Of right. The, yeah, I, I thought that was, it was a lot of fun. And then, uh, of course, you have the coolest gadgets in that car. I mean, you have Bond finally relenting to, to taking the Jaguar and pushing one of the buttons in in, in, a, in, a, in a souped up car, and it turns it turns the fire out the back. Yeah, and Bautista's car is on fire. I, I thought that was genius. He goes fast and furious on uh, Jinx's uh, backside there. Well, I just love the writing of it because it's just like you don't think you're gonna get that good delivered in one of these Daniel Craig Bond movies, and you do, and it's like the coolest version ever because it's in that master shot from Hoytave uh, Van Hoytema. Yeah, they they took they definitely took influence from the superhero genre that has already been and they just kind of smashed everything they could into making james bond their own kind of mcu protagonist and hero here <laughs> did you put on my street in the bubble <laughs> <laughs> pope nacho all right combining several jokes pope i have covid nacho. people so i, I can't speak in this episode mike pope nacho needs to be a recurring character <laughs> pope nacho should come back i agree Q gets field work at the ski mountain base. He's not only in multiple scenes, he's out in the field and he's making jokes with bartenders who are screwing up Bond's drink orders. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I, I loved I loved because you have all these actors that are really good on their own, and for whatever reason they've been relegated. These characters, the Qs, the Ms, the Money Pennies, have been relegated to paper pushers for the majority of the Double O franchise. No, he's given two yeah. very serious looking goons the slip. Yeah, on that ski resort. I loved, I loved it. it. Uh, and finally, you know, you get the big showdown between M and Q and Money Penny with C and Andrew Scott there. Yeah, it's kind of the wimpiest nerd fight I've ever seen <laughs> atop the building where, you know, you know, uh, Moriarty or sexy priest man from Fleabag <laughs> just kind of slips after one exchange. They should have oh. just let Fines tap into his Red Dragon character. <laughs> That's right. But what did... Can you imagine? What do they call it when the swords cross? What do they call that in uh, terms of fencing language? I, come on. Guard. <laughs> I have no idea. Lightsabers. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, but they cross swords once, and then, you know, he hits... He shoots the top of the ceiling, and glass falls on him, and then... Boom, the guy's like, oh, this is slippery, I'm dead. Yeah, that's exactly how he's taken out. I mean, it happens in such an unnecessary way during an unnecessary part of the movie. I guess, you know, let's let's get into it. We can combine There's a Reason Tomorrow Never Dies and Goldfingers, which is uh, where we talk about the failings of the bad guys and how we would fix them. And as a means of just quick recap, there's two main baddies we're dealing with here. We have Hanks and we have Blofeld. At least those are the main antagonists from outside of MI6. In the introduction to both of those characters, we talked about with this grand bad guy meeting. I thought it was one of the coolest bad guy intros in the entire Bond series. Uh, Bond is chasing Franz Oberhauser, who he is not aware at the time is actually Blofeld, the Christoph Waltz character, nor is he aware that Blofeld is the head of this organization called Spectre, which mm-hmm. Lear Seydoux fills him in on. Yes, it's a very cryptic organization, Mike, but they try to tell Bond everything they can at the exact worst moment, though, because they're toasting one another in Mexico. Right when the movie starts, and they're like, "Here's the entire evil plan that we're going to toast to, to the point where if somebody's eavesdropping, they'll have a, enough information to go to the next stage." Below right. everything blows up. Right, and then Bond takes that information and says, "What if I just decimate these two buildings for no reason? <laughs> Will that do anything to your plan?" And of course, he's got Monica Bellucci for a wife, so he's just again these people. These people are too sexy for their own good, all of them, and they just think they can get away with anything. So, you know, Bond, of course, goes back to the, her funeral, mm-hmm. and they have sex. Right. And, uh, As one does. We've all been there. Maybe don't try and assassinate the wife of one of your assassins <laughs> after that assassin's funeral, too, you know, because... Bond's going to stop you and have sex with the wife and get all the information that he needs because you have completely turned her against you. There's so much unnecessary violence and killing and kidnapping going on in this. So that's the antagonism from outside MI6. Meanwhile, we've hinted at this. There's a difficulty going on behind the scenes in MI6 as Max slash C, the Andrew Scott character, trying to merge the world's intelligence agencies as he sees the double O program as an obsolete one. He goes ideologically head to head with Q and M in doing so, revealing that he has eyes even on his own double O agents, including Bond's conversations that the super spy thinks he's having in private. Basically, the sub-story of this movie is the larger, blown-out version of the I'm more important than you argument Bond has with the new Q upon his introduction a few films ago. The side characters are reduced to a, a you know 
Pissing contest. Yes, of course. It's every Bond movie. <laughs> I like it. I'm used to it. Fine. But remember the premise that you just established there. Andrew Scott and Blofeld, they're, they're supposedly they're powerful because they can see everything. Their mm-hmm. prototype, you know, all their communications. They have cameras everywhere. They see everything. Bond does. Everybody does. Bond is being tracked. It's transparent. That's the premise. Go ahead. <laughs> so eventually, you know, we have your usual Bond tropes where I have to accidentally kill some that's going to come important later on, etc., etc. But we reach an intersection of these two main storylines. Bond is chasing Blofeld, while C. Lobby successfully to have the double O program shut down and himself made the new head of all things intelligence. This leads to a pretty badass fight scene on a train where Hanks, the Batista character, is dispatched. And then a truly memorable tete-a-tete with Mr. Oberhauser himself, where Blofeld reveals that he's been everywhere and all things to Bond over the years, even showing Madeline, Leah Seydoux, the actual footage of her father shooting himself with Bond's gun and revealing that Bond only offered to protect her in the first place for the information she knows and as repayment for Daddy doing the deed to himself. All right. So, on the premise that they see Bond's every move, (laughs) maybe they could have watched some of the common tropes that Bond always does in the other 23 (laughs) films leading up to this point. They needed their own character study is what you're saying. Like take his watch perhaps? Like tie up his... If you're going to have that seat, right? That seat that Blofeld has, why would you design it so his hands are that close to each other behind his back? So dumb. So dumb. With the watch on. Right. But yeah, I mean, all right, fine. You send Hinks to kill him. And I love how you, you know, you lean into all the old Bond tropes. All right, the greatest henchman the world has ever seen, who had the greatest muscle flex scene of the movie. He can't kill him in the Savage Train fight because, uh, you know, Madeline Swan is, is finally Bond's match. And they save one another. Yes. And they have sex to celebrate as, as they should. And I believe is morally just <laughs> and the way of the, you know, the, the year of our Lord. Anyway, <laughs> that all should happen. But here you have this just pompous jerk, not tie up Madeline Swan because he overestimates her and he makes her wear that dress. But they, he, the, the, that's a great that, Mike. point, Mike. That's a, he you, he has to know she's the one who basically killed Hinks and yet he's letting her just sit there. That's a great the point. Dumbest thing in the world. So they don't take his watch and then they, yeah, I mean, he does, he doesn't think she's going to fight bond. I mean, and talk about his useless ass henchmen. Like, they, <laughs> Like, nobody has eyes on Bond. They're supposed to be, like, the, and nobody could see. They don't have know. one guy standing at the door behind Bond that could see this fucking guy fiddling with his watch. He's going for his watch. He's going for his watch. Somebody should be right there. A lot, but this is, I mean, this is part of, the, like, we're talking about this. This is part of the fun of the movie. Like, there is a ton of issues, not even withstanding what actually happens at the end of this. So we have Bond. He's able to get the best of Blofeld, decimating his compound in the process, and then is able to reveal to M that the pesky C is his Blofeld's head of intelligence and the attempt of taking over all of the intelligence in the world is a Blofeld-led coup, but Bond is captured with just a half hour to go until the new intelligence system is live and C seizes all power. This is the biggest black mark of the movie, this kidnapping. This is so dumb because when you're lucky enough to survive a complete evil-based destruction and half your face got blown up 
Do not give James Bond an over-elaborate <laughs> death with a damsel in When did he set this up? When did he have know? time to set this up? Yeah, but he doesn't properly restrain her. What was that she was restrained with? Was it silly string? What was it? Blofeld's Blofeld's entire multi-billion dollar compound is blown up. He somehow escapes death, and his first move is to wire this church in Rome on the off chance that he can lure Bond there and and paste all these pictures to the wall of M and Q and all these old people. Bond immediately just... And number one, she could be heard through the walls. You didn't soundproof the room. Right. So Bond should have been looking for her. And you've got 90 seconds to find this one girl in this entire building of closed doors. Good luck, sir. No. Bond it finds her immediately because, of course, she screams. And then, you know, with his torn ACL, he gets to her. And then, of course, if she was properly tied down with anything, like you and I could just wrap duct tape around a person <laughs> long enough to where, good, get out of that in 90 seconds, right. Houdini. Right. No, not going to happen. But but this guy, th- th- this guy's able to brush all of these ropes aside with, like, they're cobwebs. Yeah. And he takes the girl away, and he's able to run away in enough time. And I thought, like, plenty of time, t- plenty of time. <laughs> that ticking clock, I was like, oh, Bond's gonna have to defuse the bomb. That's his only choice. It's, he doesn't have enough time to do anything else. No, he's he's out with like time to spare right. to get a speedboat. He doesn't even hit. It, he's not impacted at all by this gorgeous building being blown to bits for no reason. And by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> him being kidnapped blows C's cover. Like, right. if Bond isn't kidnapped, right, and he just <laughs> reports to M that C is the bad guy, at that point, all you have is M's word against C. You have a man who is trying to save this out-of-date, uh, ancient Pro double O program who everybody has already turned against and thinks is too old school for his own good against the word of the guy who you've already invested in and you've already proven you want to take over. You already held the vote that he should be the head of all intelligence for all these countries. It's C's word against M's word if Bond just isn't touched. It's C <laughs> is useless. It's just... <laughs> but... I don't know. I, I think uh, I think they just wanted something for Ray Fines and company to do. But right. They didn't really write it strongly enough. Or maybe that was Daniel Craig in the in the edit. He just didn't care. He's like, I have to fight Blofeld, and he has all these henchmen. And all right, M, they can have a slap fight and shoot some glass, and that guy will slip, and that'll be the end of the movie. And all right, but yeah, they didn't write the Andrew Scott character's importance enough. Let's just say it was just based on a pissing contest with uh, Ray Fiennes. He basically um, went from king of the world to slipping on a banana peel and falling off a balcony. The the villain slipped on a banana right. peel and fell off a balcony. That was how that movie ended. And then we have the story with Blofeld. And Mike, Blofeld's, you know, his, his Achilles heel was that he just was such a dick of a boss right (laughs) because he's sitting in that illuminati meeting and he's such an ass that he has to have his servant he beckons his servant over and then he tells his servant 
to what? To tell the some guy something else? Oh no, he tells the ser- I now I remember. He tells the servant to nudge the microphone closer because <laughs> he doesn't have hands and he can't do it. <laughs> so now he is just helplessly being driven away in this you know, luxury helicopter, mm-hmm. and he should have been in more of a military grade helicopter because if your he- getaway copter can be shot down with a Walter K. PP7 bullet. One bullet. You have problems. <laughs> One sir. bullet from a distance in midair, flying away, shot from a boat on uneven water. Across the river, yeah. <laughs> it takes out the fucking chopper. I couldn't believe it. I, I was dying it. laughing. But it doesn't even end there. Like, everything that Blofeld says to Bond has to be proven wrong. Like, Blofeld's crawling away. <laughs> Number one, don't do that. Bond's going to run. I forgot about this part. <laughs> Bond's going to run and catch you. And then all of MI6 is like, yeah, execute him. Right. He must die. Right. He, trying to ru- ruin the world. Everybody stands aside and lets Bond kill this man. And, and, and just l- setting up the whole scene. And all Blofeld want, has to do to, to get the suicide by cop he desires is just not say anything. Right. And Bond, a ruthless murderer, will murder you. Exactly. But no. Exactly. He has to give Bond the excuse of reverse psychology by saying, finish it. And then Bond doesn't. And the grandest irony is how many deaths does Bond cause senselessly throughout the first two and a half hours leading up to that point he's like i'm not gonna take your life bro you're wearing like literally three dozen bodies minimum already look scott evil was right man just shoot him we'll take him back out and shoot him like don't try to torture bond with dramatic irony and laser powered devices just shoot him oh i can't wait to see christoph waltz back in the new movie can't wait And I can't wait for him to rationalize it, say, no, this is all part of my plan to be shot down with one bullet. I mean, we we didn't even focus on the ridiculousness of how I truly think Mendes and and Craig wrote this Blofeld character to be the same Blofeld character from the 60s. I think he's supposed to be the same guy. Wow. So, just bravo. Should have learned from a few past mistakes. Bravo saying. to everybody involved for pulling this off. <laughs> we could finish up with one of our favorite. I think that's going to be our favorite section, but usually our favorite section is License to Bill, where we tally up and account for all the damages Bond caused and what it might cost. Michael. Yeah, one ancient city block in Mexico City. <laughs> Start off hot. Yep. I don't know what they paid for the band. Uh, but one ruined Day of the Dead annual holiday <laughs> concert. It's not like you can reschedule. So we have priceless and then probably $300. <laughs> uh, one Aston Martin DB10. No, I'm sorry. That was the, again, I got it confused. One Jaguar CX-75. That's six figures easy, right? Souped up. Yeah. That he steals from Q, which was genius and hilarious. If not seven um, figures. One plane, one Jeep in Austria. <laughs> he could have done more damage in, in Austria, but he, do, he does do some. Uh, the train car got fucked up. That train got fucked up a little bit, but mm. again, he could have, could have been a lot worse. One evil NSA desert base, though, right. that was expensive. The compound, probably housing hundreds of henchmen as well. <laughs> How many Lashif's worth of gambling <laughs> do you have to do to fund that enterprise? Gotta be millions. It's a moon crater base. No, not a moon crater. Meteorite crater. I found the meteorite crater. 
and I've made my base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a problem. That that costs a lot of money. And again, to have the just the hole in the Death Star where the trigger switch for the self yeah. seems short sighted. Seems short sighted. To have that exposed for again one bullet. One bullet can accomplish a lot. Charlton Heston was very pleased with this. <laughs> Mike, one car that's supposed to be inconspicuous, right? <laughs> that was blown up. Because yeah. uh, Bond finally gets some regular schmo car at the end. And boom, crashed into. Team broken up, scattered to the wind. Bond captured, put in the, in the armored car by the goons. He All probably right. set that up himself because he can't stand to be seen in a car that's for normal people. <laughs> It was a normie car. It was definitely a normie <laughs> car there. Uh, but what was not a normie helicopter, I mean, that was a luxury helicopter because mm-hmm. Foo-Foo Magoo can't, you know, <laughs> can't rough it and wear some armor on the, on the copter. It's ridiculous. Uh, Multiple finally, several story buildings in historic downtown Rome. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. I think, uh, I think the real life buildings were kept safe because... <laughs> Because finally somebody stood up to United Artists and MGM. Pope. Pope Nacho there. Pope Nacho. Otherwise, I don't. It looked like MI6 was being rebuilt and it got blown up again. What was the church? What was the building that got blown up at the end in London? I've watched this like a million times. I can't figure it out. The one that uh, Blofeld uh, lit up at the end there? Because didn't they blow up MI6 at yeah. the end of the Skyfall? Yeah, and I think I, I, like you, thought it was being rebuilt there. So, Okay, so they blew up MI6 I again. think they blew it up again. <laughs> the British taxpayers. Could you imagine being an accountant for MI6 and having to work in that fucking building? <laughs> at this point, I, if I'm a British citizen, I'm like, listen, James, you yeah. saved this time and again. <laughs> you need to go. You, gotta, like, you have to do the right thing and put a bullet in your own head. <laughs> I would rather be watched at all times by Big Brother <laughs> and Mr. C there. Let's take C out of prison, and we'll go with that option rather than James Bond just raging dick of a. Chaos this is what creator. I. This is my whole my whole thesis. This man is more of a menace to society. At least Thanos, you snap and you don't feel anything. James Bond is a constant threat to you and your loved ones at all times. All times, at all times. What an episode! Oh my goodness, what a fucking movie! All right, well, guys, as always, what's most important? Uh, we want to hear from you. We want your input on these sections, on the spoilers and the non-spoiler section. Is there any damage we haven't accounted for yet? Is there a way to fix Blofeld or that kidnapping at the end that you actually think would have worked? Let us know. You can leave us those as well as any other comments, questions, or concerns about anything we do here in the mmo empire leave us all that on our social medias we're mike mike and oscar on facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts if you're listening to us on the apple podcast app thank you first of all uh and if you would be so kind as take a couple seconds out of your day to leave us a five-star review on the apple podcast app hey that would be pretty cool of you michael what an episode what a movie what a man James Bond is. What's coming next from MMO, and what are some words of wisdom to end on? We got to talk about the big news with Wonder Woman 1984 going to HBO Max. Yeah, speaking of we bizarre. Got, yeah, we got we got a lot of uh, crow to eat, or at least I do on that one, because I was surprised that they, they made that move uh, with the money at stake. I feel like they're I trying guess. to be half pregnant. I know we can't get into it now, but that's, I mean, half pregnancy is a thing, I think, according to WB. 
Well, a lot of great articles written by the trades and mm-hmm. our friends at IndieWire, Tom Bruggeman, etc. So we'll have to study those and, and give you guys an analysis. We also got some Orc-style stuff. I mean, the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards came out, and, and some more news from SAG is going to drop very soon, probably before you guys actually listen to this. And uh, we'll be able to talk about some submission deadlines and all that good stuff. And SAG may next... be changing the world of professional wrestling as we know it. <laughs> really? What? Yeah, there, there's a there's a whole union battle brewing between uh, SAG considering taking hmm. pro wrestlers into the uh, SAG after union. So you would prefer the uh, the lie that it's all real. <laughs> I'm sorry, athletes. I'm sorry, lie. <laughs> Mike, uh, in terms of words of wisdom, though, let's get back to this wonderfully delicious episode of uh, the James Bond character yes. study, and let's leave the people with this if you are going to write a superfluous 30 minute finale <laughs> on your james bond film something that quantum of soul is probably needed right mm-hmm. yeah it's a true, little thin. true it was a little thin even though we kind of liked it it was a little thin but if you need that two and a half hour runtime, you better make those 30 minutes just patently absurd yeah and hilariously fun yeah they accomplished as much Inspector, I, I was really pleased with this. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That is, I co-signed that absolutely. What a movie. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can come just watch something absurd with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards this year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.